Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Colossians. Um, today is the last day in the book of Colossians, and so I just want to do a quick review of the road we have traveled so far. If you do not have a Bible today and would like one, um, all you have to do is simply raise your hand and one of our ushers will put a Bible in your hand. Um, And there's actually a connection card inside of the Bible that is already turned to the page that we're going to be at today. Um, So you can just flip open right to Colossians, I'm sorry, chapter four, chapter four today. Colossians chapter four. Um, Has this been a good journey through the book of Colossians for anybody? Amen. Amen. It has been um, good for me. Colossians chapter 1, this great foundational truth, really focusing on not the counterfeit heresies of the time, but the authentic truth of who Jesus is. And during that time, as we walked through Colossians chapter 1, we reminded ourselves that you don't have to be an expert in all the untruths out there. You don't have to be an expert on every world religion, on every new wind of doctrine. If you know the authentic Jesus deep enough and well enough, you will always be able to spot the lie when you are familiar with the truth. Colossians chapter 2 begin to talk about the futility of the law, the futility of following these false religions that promise things that only the cross of Jesus Christ could give. And then a few weeks ago in chapter 3, we begin to say, how then should we then live? If Jesus Christ is all, and if he really is better than all the other things of this world, how are we to live? And we talked about those practices and passions of our own lives, those things that should drive us and the way that we treat one another. We talked about that on an individual as well as a corporate level. How are we, the church, together? And you remember the line from a sermon of several weeks ago that says, we cannot be as a church what you refuse to be as a Christian that we are the sum total of our parts, and it requires a personal commitment to these things if we as a church are to be anything that God has called us to be. Then we talked about some relationships, the great trust fall, trusting God in relationships, and what it looks like to go first, not because the other person is trustworthy enough, not because the other person deserves it, but in a relationship, you go first because of what you have received from Jesus. And we get to model that to our children, at our job, even in our marriages. Today, we're going to end that journey looking at the last words that Paul is going to give to the church at Colossae. And just keep in mind that Paul had never been to this city before. He didn't start this church. He had heard about them and developed a love and affection for them. He was writing out of a concern for them. And I want to read for us verses 7 through 12. We're going to spend most of our time in 2 through 6, but I want to read verses 7 through 12 because it sets up really the heart of the rest of our time. Verse 7. Tychicus will give you a full report on how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and a faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. 
I am also sending Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychicus will tell you everything that's happened here. Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends you his greeting, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers, and they are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Epaphras, a member of your own fellowship and servant of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings. He also prays earnestly for you, asking God to make, to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can also assure you that he prays hard for you, and he also prays for all the believers in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Demos. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After you have read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. And you should read the letter I wrote to them and say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul, remember my chains. May God's grace be with you. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I pray right now that you would just do what only you can do that you would move in power in this place. God, that you would just set us up for a divine encounter with you. Help us, Father, to posture ourselves for your word and to respond with a willing obedience. God, saturate this place with your presence and your power so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing and acceptable to you. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Now, I know many of us do not read the end of these epistle letters carefully. Um, one, because it seems to be out of odds with the theological content that we have read before. But there is a reason I wanted to start here, because as we wrap up our time through the book of Colossians, I want us to be sure about what we have just encountered. What we have just done was not just read a theological treatise or tome of of unpacked theological truths. No, what we have done is heard the heart of someone who loves deeply the church. Look at the names that he has listed out in here. Those who are serving with him and even those part of the church of Colossae, Epaphras. I love how he called out in verse 17, Archippus. Be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. He's giving this boy ministry and prophecy instructions from afar. Now, this is incredible because he has kept up with the life and the people of the church of Colossae. That is an incredible feat in first century A.D. Palestine. Some of us got Facebook friends that we've had for years, and we don't have, we don't have any idea what they're doing in their life. And all we have to do is just scroll through our feed. So to keep up with somebody from a distance required effort and intentionality. That is what we see, because what I don't want us to walk away from the book of Colossians is God has given us more truth to know only, more things to do only. Paul isn't writing with the heart of a teacher primarily. I believe that he's writing with the heart of a father, a spiritual father who led to faith the people who planted this church who felt as an apostle, as an apostolic overseer, one who had unique responsibilities to shepherd this young church towards the faith. And when he heard of a heresy springing up in Colossae, he jumped to action. 
Does anybody remember where Paul is writing this letter from? Prison. I don't know about you, but if I was incarcerated, the first thing on my mind would probably not be how the church down the street is doing. And yet that was Paul's heart. He was in prison or or house arrest or some variation of confinement, and yet he wrote three, at least, letters from this particular incarceration to the churches to make sure that they were cared for and led well and the truth was affirmed. That's going to be important for our time today, but let's go back to Ephesians 4, chapter 2. He's giving us his final encouragements here. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. And that is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Man, I love this. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. The reason I love that phrase, because that is not oftentimes the tone of my prayers and maybe not the tone of yours. An alert mind, this, I, this mind that says, I am aware of what God is doing and I'm aware of what is happening in the world around me. And my disposition towards that which I feel and see is gratitude and thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but many of my prayers have almost an opposite heart behind it. I don't have an alert mind. I have a singularly focused mind, my problems, my issues, my stuff. Instead of coming to the Lord with thanksgiving for what he has already done, it's just frustration for what he hasn't done yet. And so in light of what we know, Paul is is shifting even our prayer life as a final way to say, remember who God is and remember what he is doing and remember who you are and remember your role in this world. But I'm going to spend just a few minutes talking about verses five and six. It says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. This phrase, make the most of every opportunity, primarily has in view this missionary evangelistic posture that we should have. That as we live in this world, we should be looking for opportunities to invite people to know and love Jesus. We should be living in such a way that we are constantly scanning the horizon of our relationships, looking for an opportunity. Oh, can I talk about Jesus here? Can I encourage them with the hope of the gospel here? Can I share a part of my testimony here? Always looking for an opportunity. And as I begin to just ponder this in my own life, I begin to God, I begin to ask God, why don't I do that more often? And then as I begin to rest on my own heart, I begin to have a deep passion for our church being a church that is always making the most of every opportunity, realizing that we don't have to go anywhere to do ministry. We just got to do ministry where we are. But then begin to ask, God, why is that so hard? How many people in this room love Jesus? Right? It's a good amount of people. Now, don't raise your hand, but I want you to answer the question in your heart. How many people have shared the explicit gospel any time this year? Don't raise your hand. I kind of want people to raise their hand. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. Here's what I know, statistically speaking, and from the stories that I've heard, that many of us who love Jesus really only share the gospel with people who also love Jesus. We really only evangelize the found. 
um, or really lamenting the relationships of the loss that we have. And I begin to ask the Lord God, what is this in us? Where we really do love you. We really do have lives that have been changed by you. Why is it so hard to make the most of every opportunity? And then it made sense what we've been talking about this entire time, that Jesus is better than. Here's what I believe, family. We have been stuck in the default setting of survival. And we have no margin for thriving. All of our energy is spent on surviving. We've got no margin for thriving. Let me unpack. Stay with me for just a second. Jesus is better than. Better than what? Anything. Fill in anything in that blank, and the statement would still be true. Jesus is better than heaven. Yes, he is. Right? Jesus is better than the Bible. Jesus is better than church. Jesus is better than... It doesn't matter what you put in that. Jesus is uniquely valuable in all creation. So what's so hard about us living this better than life? A life that is centered in, grounded upon, and nourished by him. I believe it's because of this. Surviving and not thriving. Surviving and not thriving. Let me say it this way. Most of us do the thing tomorrow that we did today and that we did yesterday. We kind of have this rhythm of going through life, and we know it's not sustainable because every once in a while we got to have a vacation away from our life. We recover energy for a second. And then we go back to living. That drains us, depletes us, taxes us, frustrates us, and then we got to find another way to recover, and then we go back to living. And so the rhythm goes of life, of survival. We fill our lives with so many things, so many activities, so many distractions, so many good things on the surface, but at the end of the day, they take from us. They distract from us, and they leave no margin in our lives for Jesus, if we're honest. We try to fill our lives with so much joy and so much fun and so much distraction, and we're still not happy. We're still not happy, not for real. We have moments of laughter, moments of distraction, but we're still not happy for real. When's the last time you woke up happy? Not because something happened. You remember? I heard this quote many years ago. Um, as you grow, I talk about just the, this reality of growing up. And it said, one day you played with your friends for the last time. You didn't know what that day was. I thought that was a remarkable quote because you're right. I had friends that I grew up with. We don't, we don't play anymore now. And one day was my last day doing that before we grew up and we did other things. One day in your Christian life, Jesus was everything. And then one day, he was an accessory to your thing. And there was a day where the last day Jesus was at the center, which preceded the first day that he was not. And many of us are struggling through life. You know, that's my number one uh, People always ask, like, how do you approach the kind of the sexual revolution, the, 
the, the LGBTQIA just kind of conversation, transgender conversation. I know several friends who are in that camp either by their own lifestyles or by aff- affiliation and, ally- and allyship. My question is always the same. The same question I'm asking you today is, okay, you're getting everything that you want. Are you happy? And they'll always say yes. And then I'll just wait. For real? If you know them well enough, if you know them long enough, they tell you the truth. The truth is, no, like I, I'm, do, I'm running the playbook that the world is telling me to run. Chase every desire. Do what makes you happy. Cut off, cut off people who disagree. Do everything that makes you fulfilled and complete and chase you and find out who you are and be that. We're doing all the things that the world is telling us to do. And at the end of the day, I'm still not happy. I'm actually less happy now than when I started this journey. And oftentimes that becomes a great parlay into the hope of the gospel, that maybe chasing your desires is not the path to happiness. But the sad reality for many, of our, many Christians, those who have been transformed by the, the grace of God, we fall into the same trap. So this Jesus is better than we say yes and amen to, and then we go right back to living the way we were living before. And here's what I know. Some of us, it's from a trauma response. Don't leave now. Stick with me. Some of us, it's because of a trauma response. Something has happened in our lives, in our past, in our minds that has shaped us in such a way where we spend most of our life reacting to life. We spend most of our time, energy, and efforts reacting to those things that are real or protecting those things which we think can become real. And here's the sad reality is we end up I don't say this lightly, I say this lovingly. We end up worshiping our trauma. Why? Because it decides where we go. It decides what friends we have. It decides where we stay inside when we leave. It decides when we spend money and when we don't. It decides where we live. It decides when we can smile. It decides when we can make friends, when we need to run away. It decides everything about our lives. That's what you call worship, church. And I'm not saying just turn that light switch off. It was that easy. I know you would have done it already. What I'm saying is we need to recognize that what's driving our lives, even those people who are Jesus people like you, are still not driven primarily or solely by Jesus in the better than life. There's all these other things in competition for living this better than life. There's no margin for Jesus. So those who are making most of every opportunity, this idea of maximizing our opportunities, maximizing our engagement with the world, we don't even see that as possible. We're just trying to make it through the day. We're just trying to get the kids to go to sleep. Right? Like if we can just get them to just, just be quiet for, for, for 20 minutes. Like we're, we're shooting for barely living. Not even thinking of what thriving could look like. And the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy, church. But he doesn't come selling you destruction. He comes selling you happiness. He comes selling you peace. He comes selling you joy. He comes selling you anything that you want to buy at the cost of your soul. But Jesus came to what? Give life. And life what? Abundantly. 
Life abundantly. Jesus Christ came so that we could stop just living or stop just surviving and actually start thriving in him. That's my only point today, y'all. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Because I feel like there's no margin to do any of the things that we've talked about in our minds, our hearts, or our schedules. Because at the center of it is not Jesus is better than, it's I got to do what I got to do. And, and I, I get it, but I don't. I don't know your story. I don't know the circumstances of your life. And so I don't understand every nuance of decision that you've had to make, but I know my own life. I know marriage and kids and schedules and activities and vacations and all these things can crowd out the best things because you're trying to get to the good things. Y'all have heard me say this before, parents, many of us, I said this about fathers earlier, many of us are first generation fathers and many of you mothers are first generation mothers. You didn't have an example to see growing up. And you are doing the best that you can, figuring it out as you go. Somebody should say amen. amen. Right? Now, I know some of you came from godly homes, loving homes, safe and healthy homes, and you had a place, the playbook to run. You were shown an example. Praise God for that. Hopefully that's true of all of our children. But that wasn't everybody's starting point in this room. I know that for a fact. So some of us are spending, doing the best that we can, spending all of our effort trying not to break the world around us, like those we grew up with broke our world for us. And so we're trying to be the different husband who is faithful and loving and safe. We're trying to be the different wife who trusts and supports and encourages. We're trying to be the different parent who doesn't just lash out, dismiss, but who invests and disciples, and corrects. We're trying so hard. And single folks, young folks, y'all are navigating a world that has never existed before. Y'all, this, this world has never existed before. And y'all are doing y'all best trying to live right and die holy. With all the temptations and all the distractions and all the world screaming in your face, there is a better way to happen. All you got to do is walk away from this man, Jesus. And y'all are still here. And it's taking everything in you, isn't it? And that's just living, y'all. That's just being able to go to sleep and wake back up and do it again every day. So as I began to pray to the Lord, I was like, God, why is these things so true and so real and so good on Sunday and so hard on Monday? Why is there amens and shouts and yeses on Sunday and tears? and I'll be crying too. And then Monday, we default right back to what we were doing. What is that family? And that verse five just spoke to me. I was like, man, live wisely among those who are believers and make the most of every opportunity. And that just struck me, man, God, that's not possible. We can't make the most of every opportunity. We can't send to you and everything, God. That's just another thing to do. And we have a people, and I live a life that doesn't have room for another thing to do. What's the answer to this? What's the answer? I think it's first, recognizing that most of our lifestyles are the problem. I'm going to say that again. 
Most of our lifestyles, say sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, are the problem. You see, many of us replace one addiction for another. We was out in the world living this kind of way. We realized we couldn't do that anymore, but now we filled our lives with a bunch of other stuff, right? A bunch of activity and action because we don't know what to do with stillness. We don't know what to do with free time, and so we eliminate it even though that's what we desperately need. Now, some of us, it's not our lifestyle choices. It's just the life that we have inherited. Maybe it's a, it's a hard child or a difficult marriage or a, a place in your life where you were just under the weight of the world and the decisions that you have to make. And there's a reality that I can't fix or change any of this right now because it's outside of my control. And I want to acknowledge that. How are we, when pressed down on every side, how are we able to make the most of every opportunity when we don't have the strength Family, I, I, I dare you to do something. This is, this is it. I dare you to do something. I dare you, for those who are believers in this place, for the next 60 days, to just center Jesus in your life every hour of every day. I dare you to wake up every single morning, if it's for five minutes or, or for 15 minutes or for 30 seconds. I wake up, I dare you to every single day, before you get out of bed, before you open your eyes, just give the Lord your day. You know that moment you wake up but your eyes ain't open? Won't you give that to the Lord? I know that's your time. I, mom, y'all are pro at this. I know y'all hear that baby crying. But y'all know I'm going to go first. <laughs> so you just lay there quiet enough, long enough, he'll go maybe. Right? I know we're pros that that time is our time, that sacred time, right? You wake up, but you, no one knows you're awake yet, and that's your time. Would you give that time to the Lord? That's just that's a practical example. Would you just give that sacred 60 seconds? And just, Lord, this day is yours. My life is yours. Help me to see you in every conversation and every moment of this day. In Jesus' name. Would we spend real time in the Word? Now, real time is, is reflective. Some of y'all have been walking with the Lord for a long time, and y'all devotional habits don't reflect that. Amen? Y'all still doing the daily bread devotionals. You've been saved for 20 years. Come on now. Come on now. We gotta just, I don't know what this means, but y'all just do it. Whatever that means for you, do that. Right? Some of us need to grow up a little bit. Some of us, we've been saved for a long time, but no one has ever taught us how to read the Bible. And now we've been saved too long, we feel ashamed to ask. Some of us never taught what a regular devotional rhythm looks like. And we've just been kind of waking up in the morning, just kind of flipping through, like, all right, you know, we just kind of end up reading the same book of the Bible over and over and over because we like it. Oh, come on now, don't. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. Some of us have got to put in a little work because you've been walking with the Lord too long. You need to transition from milk to meat. And you need to really get in the Word for real. You need to pull apart some verses. You need to be looking at some commentaries. You need to be Googling some stuff. Praying that the Holy Spirit would give you understanding. For many of us, though, we just need to develop the, the, the habit and rhythm of doing something. Doing something. The Bible reading plan we have this year is old school and easy. Read a Proverbs a day and a Psalms a day. That's it. Proverbs in the morning, Psalms at night. Proverbs in the morning, Psalms at lunch, whatever your rhythm works for you. But it's simple and it gets you into the rhythm and the habit of getting into God's word every single day. Some of us, and I dare you to do this, need to prioritize Christian fellowship in our lives more than we do. 
I know you got them friends and y'all go way back and that's your sister and that's your brother, but they ain't leading you towards godliness and you know it. They, they're just not. I'm not saying they're bad people. I'm not saying they're, they're leading you towards the world and to sin and robbing banks and all the other foolishness. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they, you know that there's people in your life that provoke godliness in you. You need to spend more time with them. I don't care if they're older. I don't care if they're younger. There's somebody in, our life, in your life that provokes godliness in you. And usually you don't, here's how you know it's working. You don't like them that much. Here's how you know. I'm for real. Because when you're real comfortable with people, <laughs> I didn't mean to say all this. <laughs> when you get real comfortable with people, sometimes that means that they're comfortable with your sin and you're comfortable with them. I didn't mean to do it to you, but come on. Some of the reason we're so comfortable with some people is they're real comfortable with your sin. And you're comfortable around their comfort with your sin. And you like it. Because they don't ever call you out on it. They laugh at it. They make room for it even. They excuse it. I'm not saying cut those people out your life. But that's not a biblical reality that we should live in. I'm saying you should find a way to spend more time with people that provoke godliness in you. And you should be a person that provokes godliness in other people. Not with a list of things to do every time y'all hang out. But the content of your conversation should reflect what the Pharisees called the disciples, that they could tell that they were unlearned men, but they had spent time with Jesus. Like there was an aroma of godliness that maybe they don't know every Greek and Hebrew word. Maybe they don't memorize the whole Bible, but there's an aroma of they've been with God. And they make me want to be with God. Family, I dare you to go to war with the sin in your life. We've talked about it this week, but I dare you to ruthlessly kill sin in your life and kill anything that makes sin stronger. Remember a couple of weeks we talked about the difference between sinful and earthly, that those things that are earthly aren't directly sin, but man, it wakes something inside up of you that you know you should be killing. I dare you. Just be ruthless. Just, just don't make excuse for it. Just cut that thing out that you know is growing the thing in you that's killing you. Sin. What I'm calling us to, family, I'm daring us to take God at his word that if we have more of him in our lives, our lives will get better as a result. Not if we do more of the things that we love and sprinkle Jesus on top, then we'll be fulfilled. That's not how happiness works. Ask the world. Happiness works by making room in our lives for more of Jesus, more of his word, more of his people, more of his spirit, more of his leading and our obedience, more of him, less of us equals joy, equals peace, equals. And the thing is, you know this to be true. I'm not saying anything that many of you don't know already to be true. And in your mind, you're saying, well, I was going to do it one day. And if I can just get over this season and this thing, my job is real crazy. And once these kids get out of school, like we keep making rooms to make no room for Jesus in our lives, wondering why our lives are crushing us. Family, the call here is the call to joy. 
the call to joy. The Westminster Confession says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. How much glory do you think God gets from grumpy Christians? From tired and frustrated Christians? From angry Christians? How much glory do you think God gets as God the Father looking at his children? How would you feel as a father watching your child make decisions that's destroying them? God is a father because he chose to reveal himself. He could have come as a king only, as a, as a dictator, as a lord, as a creator. He could have been all of those things only, but he chose to reveal himself as a father. And as a father, what he wants for his children isn't just blind obedience. Yes, we obey him. He is God and king. But if we stop at obedience and never even think about tapping into joy, that's possible. We missed out on the best parts of the gospel, y'all. We don't just call it news. We call it good news. It's good news. But our Christians sure don't be smiling about it a lot. Why? We ain't got time to smile. We got to take these kids to soccer practice, and we got swim practice, and we got track meet, and I got to get home, and I got to catch up with my shows, and I got to hang out with this person on Saturday, and this person, like, we got no room for Jesus because we're doing all these good things. I dare you, family, last one. I dare you to make room in your life for Jesus. Parents, I get it. You want to do for your kids, which your parents weren't able to do for you. But you know, the reality is, uh, (laughs) don't, don't just give them what you didn't have. Show them what you didn't see. Don't give them the stuff that you didn't have growing up. Show them what you didn't see growing up. Show them a mom and dad who love one another because of the love of Jesus. Show them a mom and dad who loves them because of the love of Jesus. Show them that they are not the most important things in this world. Jesus is. I've said this a million times. I believe it's it's oftentimes crippling to believers with families. Is if you keep living in such a way that your kids are the most important thing, one day they will believe you. And you'll wonder what happened. Man, they used to love doing Sunday school. They used to love coming to church. What happened? Oftentimes it's you that happened. It's us that happened. We've been telling them their whole lives that they're the most important thing. And one day they wake up and they, you know what, I am. But if we teach them and show them and tell them that, no, Jesus, is the most important thing. No, you can't, you can't play on that team because they got games on Sunday. Why? Because you're not the most important thing. Jesus is. No, you can't, you can't be a part of that club. We got a group on Wednesday nights. Why? Because you're not the most important thing. Jesus is. And here's the truth. If you keep telling them that long enough, one day they will believe that too. What would your child's life look like if they believed that Jesus was the most important thing? We won't know unless your life looks like that. My life looks like that. I know I've been hitting families heavy, and we don't oftentimes do that, but that's oftentimes where missional activity dies. Single people, man, we on fire for the Lord, serving the Lord, giving, 
We get married. We're excited. We have a, a, a partner in missions work. And we, we're doing life together and it starts to fall off a little bit. Then kids come along and we just disappear from the life and rhythms of the church for about 15, 18 years. Um, what I'm calling us is there's a better way, family. Now, I'm grateful that that's not the testimony of the majority of the parents in here. The majority of the parents in here have served faithfully or are modeling faithfully what it looks like to make Jesus the center of their lives. But I know it's not true of everyone. Single folks, young folks, let me say this. You will never have more time in life than right now. Amen. I didn't believe it either. I'm pretty honest with you. You will never have more time. Married folks, am I lying? This is it. This is the freest you will ever be in life. This is the most sleep you will ever get in life. This is the most time you will ever have in life. I know you don't believe it. I know you don't. But hear my heart. Hear my heart. Start today making Jesus the center of your life. Because if you wait till that relationship works out, you'll have less. If you wait till that dream of motherhood or fatherhood comes true, you'll have less. And you'll be working muscles that, you, that are underdeveloped and it'll be harder because you'll be lifting more weight. So while you have freedom and time now in a unique way, start. I dare you to start every day in prayer to the Lord. I dare you to spend every day with time in the word. Every seven days a week, Sundays too. Seven days a week, I dare you for the next 60 days to spend time in the word every single day. I dare you to prioritize Christian relationships that spur godliness in you. I, I dare you. Watch God show up in your life. When you stop chasing your desires and ambitions and dreams and your free time and your comfort and your rest, you start chasing the one who actually made you and knows exactly what you need. Family, I believe that'll change this whole church. And that'll make the truths that we have read in Colossians not just stick for a few hours on a Sunday, but become the natural rhythms of our lives. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you have the right response for everyone. God wants us to reflect to the world his character and his nature. That's why he talks about ordering our families. That's why he talks about the foundation of knowing who Jesus is. He wants our lives to reflect his character. But it's hard to do that when we are stuck in survival mode. It's hard to do that when we are just, just making it, just, just trying to get through the day. It's hard to reflect the character of Jesus when we feel like we don't have no gas in the tank. Parents, I, I get it. Single folks, I don't get it, but I hear it's terrible. Everyone has a burden to bear. Everyone has a reason why this thing is hard, but I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with you, church. I'm pleading. Make the most of every opportunity is a call to thriving. Thriving in Jesus, not just surviving the best we know how. For the next 60 days, would you just be the man of God, the woman of God that you really want to be? That you feel deep inside God has been calling you to? Would you just be and pursue Jesus by being the man or woman that you really want to be? You really want to get in the word every day. You really want to spend time prayer. You really want to spend time. I know you do. 
What I'm asking you to do is commit to that. And watch Jesus show up in your life in ways that you have never experienced in a long time. In a long time. Can we do that together, family? Can we go from just surviving to thriving by making Jesus the center? Functionally and practically, Jesus the center? Can we do that together? Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.